Blog Talk Radio. show. 
and it is your show as listeners, it is your show as guests, and y'all have kept this show afloat while I have had to deal with the illness of my husband, and I cannot tell you how grateful and humbling that is. And the response that I got when I came back after being off the air for about a month, y'all are just magnificent. Just just on the show itself, I haven't even counted up the podcast today because things have been crazy around here, but just the show itself, we have reached an all-time high as of today of 112,985 listeners in over 100 countries. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for a little southern girl who started out in 2016, July the 21st, with the hopes of maybe getting a 1,000 listeners by the first year, this is beyond anything I ever imagined. Thank you all so, so much for, for being there, for continuing to listen, and for wanting to come on the show. And speaking of, there's two ways you can do that. You can be a guest on the show. And all you have to do is contact me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com and say, Vaughn, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an artist of some kind, or I have a platform, and I want to be on the show. And you send me your bio, your your book covers, your whatever, your, your headshot, and we'll get you on the show. Or if you're kind of shy and, and you're not real sure you want to be heard by, 112,000-plus people just off the show. That doesn't count the podcast. But you still want your, your, your product out there. You can send me an ad to the same email address, off the chain radio at, at yahoo.com, and I will run it for a month. Whether I have one show or 20 shows or 30 shows in that month, I will run it for a month. The ad will only cost you 10 bucks. The reason for that is I am not in the in the market to make money off your ads. I want to pay it forward for all the people that have been kind to me and have helped me down through the years. And if for whatever reason I have to cancel shows or reschedule shows because my life is a day-to-day thing now, I will continue to run your ad with when I bring the shows back up without charge because I believe in a commitment. And when I commit myself to you as a listener, that I, I fulfill that commitment. And there are several people that have committed to being sponsors to the show, and one of them is Cece Chamberlain. Cece has a podcast called Inside Your Life with Cece, which is a motivational, passionate conversation. Cece interviews people who are living their true purpose, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or a history enthusiast. She strives to give one hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. I've been on this show, ladies and gentlemen, and I guarantee you, if you come out, if you go on that show as a guest, when you get done with that show, you will feel like you can conquer anything. So download, subscribe, and listen as CC guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best possible life. This wonderful show is available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere where podcasts are available. And another wonderful, wonderful person who believed in me so much that she sent me enough ad money for two years worth of ads, bless her heart, Diane Moe, and she writes about dogs. The second in the series of the books goes like this, wherever a helpless animal whimpers in the dark, wherever the system fails to protect an animal, she'll be there, and she isn't giving up anytime soon, so you've been warned. 
When Sam Holden receives a tip about a brutal dog fighting ring, she embarks on some of her most dangerous acts of vigilanteism yet. The monster known as the puppeteer circles Sam's world as she unknowingly circles his. As they chase each other, will Sam put those she loves most in harm's way in order to bust up the ring? With time running out and animals in need, the dangerous life she's created begins to eclipse any other life she could lead. So buy Diane Moat's latest book in the Sam Holden series, Dogfight, on Kindle today. Now, if you haven't read How It All Started, begin the journey with Dog Gone, also by Diane Moat, on Kindle. No, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot go yet because our night is just getting started. The young man, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek because he and I are just about the same age, has been a godsend. He um, was sent to me to be on the show, and at that time I had a full schedule. Well, as as things happen and as as plans change, I had to replace the guest I had tonight, and I could not have asked for a nicer, better, more interesting replacement than my guest tonight. And for him to drop everything at the last minute and say, I will, I will, I will, just goes to show, again, the dedication, the kindness, the love, and the support that y'all give your show. And I am so appreciative to this author and, and new friend for saying, Yvonne, we got this covered, that it makes my, my cup of gratitude overflowing. His name is B.R. Statham, and he is an author, and he says he'll be 69 years old in May, and what he doesn't know is I will be 67 years old in May. So we not only share the same age, so to speak, we share the same birth month. So, you know, the stars align just right. Supposedly, people creeping up to that age are thinking about retiring. Well, I think he and I drink out of the same well because that's not in our wheelhouse. For B.R., that is not going to happen. As a nine-year-old kid, he wrote his first novel on lined paper using lots and lots of pencils and their erasers. Sound familiar? I started writing at five. At 20, he sold his first novel to DAW Science Fiction and thought at the time he was about to journey on a long career being a middle-of-the-road sci-fi writer. Ha-ha. But the finicky gods had other plans. They do tend to do that. Over the years, he has delved into self-publishing novels and collections of short stories. Currently, he has hardcore Doc Noir novellas out with an up-and-coming indie houses such as Fahrenheit 13 and Near to the Knuckle. He's also found a home with Britain's Endeavor Press, a dynamic new name in the e-book publishing field, with the re-release of his Turner Hahn Frank Morales police detective novels. Endeavor is also publishing his new series featuring a first-century Roman detective by the name of Decimus Julius Virilius. Now, we will be talking about that book. I started reading the synopsis and I almost said, forget tonight's show. I'm downloading the book and starting on it. But being the kind of person I am, I couldn't, I couldn't let the guy down. So here we are. The writing game is nothing but an odds very much stacked against you throw of the dice. But B.R. has no plans in throwing in the towel and walking away. This man is a man after my own heart. Welcome, B.R. Thank you so, so much for being with me tonight. 
Well, thank you, Yvonne. And by the way, thank you very much for those kind words of yours. I appreciate it, Natalie. Well, I only speak the facts, sir, just the facts. And and you well, are an amazing, amazing, amazing person. I can't wait for us to talk about you. Uh, well, now you're making me shy and embarrassed. <laughs> oh, no. No, as writers, we don't get embarrassed. We just get glowed. Oh, you, well, maybe you don't, <laughs> but I, I've been known to. We just glow. So before we talk about the wonderful books that I have been tinkering with all day, in fact, I downloaded one. I haven't read it yet because then I would have forgotten about tonight's show and y'all would have all been upset with me. Let's talk about BR. Was it always well, your intent to write? I mean, you started writing at nine years old. What did you write about? Well, that that one online paper was a hardcore space guns and uh, spaceships and ray guns and monsters science fiction, which I still like to delve into when I write. But uh, I wrote that on the dining room table and uh, had my relatives read that, my uncle, and and um, I, that started the bug in my in the bug in me to to become a writer. Did, when you wrote that story, did it ever occur to you that that would be the journey that you would take even after making several detours? Um, consciously, no. I, I have to say I didn't think about that. I, You know, I, I don't think at that early age a lot of us look down the road that far. All I knew back at that point in time and still it today is I enjoyed the creative process of creating new worlds, creating new images, creating interesting characters, and putting it down and hoping, hoping that I could find an audience out there that would uh, delve in with me and, and enjoy what I wrote. In the course of our conversation before we went live, you you told me that you were a history teacher. Now, as a history teacher, did you teach high school or grammar school, middle school, college, or all of the above? Junior high and uh, high school, high school history, world history, and American history. I was and also a I was also a literature, literature teacher as well. So, oh, another one of my favorite teachers. It's a double whammy. Absolutely. My favorite English teacher was my 12th grade English teacher. And she taught literature like it was an art form because she loved literature, especially Shakespeare. She's the one that taught me to appreciate Shakespeare, especially Julius Caesar. So when when you said literature... that flashback came to me, and then a history teacher on top of it, because as we talked about before the show, history, if we study it, we find out people being human and, and for the most part not very bright, they don't learn from it. 
they continue to make the same mistakes over and over again and expect a different result, and we know that's the element of stupidity. Uh, I agree, yeah. Uh, as a history teacher and as a literature teacher, but especially as history, I literally tried to create a, a picture, a portrait of something that was alive and interesting. I tried to put in the mystery that was, that is history. There's a lots of things in history that are inexplicable, and uh, delving into the inexplicable is always a route to invigorate the minds of the uh, of young students. And uh, I used to tell my students at the beginning of a semester, if you'll give me the chance, an opportunity to see if I can make this come alive, you'll enjoy the class. And more times than not, I did create an audience there. And and that would also go back to your your storytelling experience as a young child and also it falls back on your teaching of literature because correct me if I'm wrong BR but literature is as much a part of history as history itself would that be a correct statement oh yes absolutely I mean in my lit classes when we got into Shakespeare I I brought out uh, the history uh, where these pieces came from. I brought out Elizabeth in England at the time. I I talked about William Shakespeare and I and I talked about the characters and, their, and the true history of these characters that came like Macbeth. And um, I try again. I tried to show that uh, that history is not a dead subject. It's not about dead people. It, if anything, it's the longest running romance story adventure story in the world. And if you think about it, that's exactly what history is. It's the longest-running mystery story in the world. Perpetual, because everything that is done moves to the past, which gets told and retold and retold and retold. And because we are such idiots, we don't understand that they're retelling the same stuff that happened since the beginning of time. And it shows in literature, too. You brought up Macbeth. Macbeth is a perfect example. Macbeth is murder, hatred, revenge, war, greed, gluttony. Regret. 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 And that's pretty much our history. Well, uh, yes, it is. And the other thing to, be, to remember about history is you and I are products of our history, our immediate history, our family history, our history in the last 50 years. Uh, without that history, who knows what we are or would be, you know. But because of our history, we act and tick and think and react because of the past experiences that we've had. That's history. And so – if people are become aware of that, if my students became aware of that, I thought they were uh, very well prepared to meet the future and to succeed in the future. And it's also, when we go far enough back, because I also do, have done genealogy for years, and you see the same patterns in families down through the generations because of environment, of DNA makeup, of values of principles of of everything that that went on in the nucleus is carried forward 
good, bad, or indifferent, temperament, personalities, um, attitudes about things, strengths and weaknesses. The women in our family were strong all the way back to Scotland and Ireland. We come from very strong stock. So the women have always been stronger than the men mentally, emotionally, maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally. We've always been stronger. And we were we always accepted things. What it sounds like to me is that it sounds like we may be distant relatives. And we could be. <laughs> my we family well uh, my my family comes out of England and uh and uh Wales basically and they wound up in the eighteen forties in uh Georgia. So we what might be part? more related than you think. What part it's somewhere just, just south, uh, southeast, no, southwest of Atlanta, somewhere up in that area. Southwest, okay, that would be over towards Dallas. I'm sorry, southeast, south, southeast of Georgia. Okay, of southeast of Houston County, Perry, Georgia, um, Augusta. Don't I don't really know. I've never been back to Georgia. To, I do know that there's a little town that uh, is named Statham, but they they yep. write they they write the name down without the e. But we're all related. I mean, Statham's you you pick up a name that has Statham as a last name, and down the road we're related somehow. Ladies and gentlemen, y'all just don't realize what a small world it is. I know exactly where Statham, Georgia is. I'm from Georgia. So it's, well, it's a small, tell, small tell me world. About it. Is, it a big town? is it a big town, a small town? What is it? It's it's a small town. It's very southern. It's very laid back. Um, it If you blink, you miss it. If you, if, you, if, you get, if you get the opportunity, you should go. It's the kind of town that sounds like I was growing up in. Yep, you should go visit Statham. You you will not regret it. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is why we call this show Off the Chain, because this is not a scripted show. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. The conversation ebbs and flows and takes its own direction. <laughs> but this leads us up this leads us up to um the brand and the brand is BR. Everything that BR has done up to this point it shows up in his books because as as authors part of us show up in our writings. Yeah. And and your well, love of history, Yeah, your love of history, your love of literature it it shows up in in the way that you write. Well, I'm uh, sitting here talking to you right now and thinking about your size of your audience. I'm hoping that my what I write on paper Sounds a little more intelligent than way probably I'm sounding right now. Oh, stop! You're doing fine. <laughs> I told you it's just different having a conversation. We're doing. You should hear me. Some nights I stutter the, through the whole show. Especially, I'm surprised I'm talking coherently tonight. I haven't been to sleep in three nights. So, if I start stuttering mm-hmm. to say, okay, and, and I make fun of myself. I am my I am my own best comedic. I, I don't. I used to criticize myself, but I don't do that anymore because I am who I am, and that's just the way it is. 
So you're you're fine. Trust me, you're fine. What I want to know is you are soon going to be 69. So you grew up in that newer era of of books and and movies and television shows. To me that was a time in history that was romantic, it was dark for lack of a better word, it was mysterious. And when one watched those shows, one felt like that one was right there next to the the character telling the story and and wanted to pull that character back whenever they reached danger. Why did you go in that direction? Well, in many respects, that's asking why does a fireman run to a fire? I mean, you know, it's just built in part of them. I, like you said, I grew up with reading the, the classics at that time. Um, uh, Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. Later on, a guy by the name of Ed McBain, he wrote a series, a police procedural series called The 87th Precinct. Yep, I and, read every uh, one of them. Uh, me too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there, there's something about darkness in those particular type of stories that and that's what noir means is dark you know uh-huh. it, it, that attracts me i mean i like a great story i like a great mystery story that is filled with different possibilities for the who's the bad guy and there's twists and turns and i kind of like that and more than that i it's more than i kind of i really enjoy doing that and that's my and my story's indicate that i i try to put double twists and double entendres and and liars and all kinds of strange creatures in these things and you have as a reader you are the one that has to go through with me to find the real person the real the real killer the real bad guy and and sometimes in the in the neor one doesn't know who is really the good guy until almost the bitter, even even the the femme fatale, you don't know if she's the good femme fatale or if she's the bad femme fatale until the bitter end. That's true, and, and uh, but what I like with the the one series I've got uh, with Endeavor, that Turner Hahn Frank Morella series, uh, I write like I was telling you earlier in the before the show, I write first-person singular for the most part. And the thing about that is you're knocking on doors, you're walking down alleys, you're peeking through uh, windows, you're looking at dead bodies, and you, me, the writer, has no more clue as who did it than you, the reader, does. And we are both going down those dark streets together. And sometimes when I come to the end of the story, I'm more surprised probably than the reader is because I didn't expect it. And and I'm going to pause for that thought because I know exactly where you're coming from. Let me run these ads right quick, ladies and gentlemen, and we will be right back with author B.R. Statham. I'm having a ball. I don't know about y'all. So give us a few minutes and we'll be right back. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? 
Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books, the And I Thought series, and the Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> you so silly. silly. You silly. Remember, Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deeprose completes the Trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. We are back with Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, author B.R. Statham. And we are talking all things books, life, and Mr. Statham himself, who is a prior history teacher as well as a literature teacher, two of my favorite subjects in the world. Now, B.R., before the commercial break, you were talking about how when you get to the end of your Nora books, that sometimes you don't even know who done it until you get to the end of it are you bothered with the characters in your head like i am when you try to write and you want to write one way and you can't write because they're determined you're going to put on paper what they want put on paper oh my goodness i think sometimes i'm schizophrenic i've got i'm a child about 500 personalities <laughs> yeah well that's the curse of us writers it happens that way they they uh, you know yeah. like some Somebody once said that they have their best conversations they had was with themselves, so I agree with that. 
Absolutely. Except I don't have conversations with myself. I have conversations with the voices in my head who tell me what to do. I, I They don't necessarily tell me what to do, but occasionally, lots of times, they'll say, why don't you look around this corner, or why don't you walk down there, or better slow down, and there might be a trap here. Uh-huh. It, it's really it's really quite fascinating about what happens, but uh, no, I, they never tell me exactly what to do. They sometimes voice their displeasure at what I did. But, uh, <laughs> well, the reason I say mine tell me what to do is I was writing one of my historical novels the way I thought it should go, and I, I got blocked. I, I couldn't I couldn't go any further. And I kept trying to to make the plot go the way that I wanted it to go, and it just wasn't working. So finally I said, okay, fine, what do you want me to do? And the character says, you have to write it this way. So once I started writing it in the direction the character wanted, the book just flowed. Well, you know, that kind of proves a a point I've always had about uh, writer's block. I've always thought writer's block was uh, not the inability to continue down the story, but it was your subconscious telling you that that's not the story you should be writing at the moment. Uh There should be something else to be writing. And uh, usually when I I, uh, acknowledged that and went off writing in different directions uh, and finished that particular project that my subconscious wanted, then I could go back to the other thing I was originally writing on and, and not have a problem with it at all. And that brings me up to an interesting sentence that I read on your blog. And once I got the visual in my head, I could not get it out because that's the way my mind works. And the visual was, ladies and gentlemen, this is absolutely hysterical. What BR said was he had this this visual, and the visual was a dead cowboy in the middle of a busy metropolitan area far outside of the scope of where he should have been dressed the way he was. And he had a bullet hole in his head. Now please tell me where that came from and what you did with it. Well, that's I, I on my blog I share snippets of things that are coming down the road. And that that piece you mentioned is the third book in the Turner Hahn series, which is I'm about a third of the way done. And um it sets off it sets off a whirlwind of investigations for Turner and Frank and for a couple of other detectives that are assigned to the same case. And um but the whole premise is the idea, what attracts a reader the most? I've always asked this question to myself. What attracts a reader the most? Is it, is it the color? Is it the characters? Is it the setup? Is it the plot line? What is it? Well, I've come to a conclusion that one of the main things you need in, in, for a good story is you, you need an element of surprise. And what could be more surprising than living in the middle of a metropolitan residential set, uh, street and you wake up one morning, and there's a dead cowboy laying in the middle of the intersection. Nobody knows how he got there. That would cause talk in the neighborhood, got, for sure. 
and nobody knows how he got there. No more, nobody knows his name. There's two cops standing there looking down at this dead body, and he's got, you know, the standard uh, paraphernalia for a cowboy, and including what's on his boots. And uh, they have no idea where to go from this. They have no idea where to start the investigation. They are completely and totally lost. And from there, we build a story up. And it definitely causes gossip in the neighborhood. Oh, my, yes. And <laughs> and the thing about gossip in the neighborhood is a lot of police officers will listen to that gossip. And because out of that gossip comes a kernel of information that might be able to be followed up on and might give you a lead. Oh, yeah. that You definitely got to come back for that one. Now, that brings me to another nugget that I found, and when I first read it, I'm going, I thought I had an active imagination, but ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) BR has got an imagination that will not quit. Now, I'm just going to set the stage a little bit. Imagine yourself in... First century Rome, the height of decadence. Julius Caesar is emperor. Not Julius. Uh, Octavius. Octavius, yes. Excuse me, Octavius is emperor. Got my Caesars confused. It's that time of night. Now, <laughs> who would have thought that BR would take this setting? And no, y'all can't go look at the book yet. It's called While the Emperor Slept. And I'm going to read the synopsis because I'm sitting here reading it. I'm going, number one, I know it's got historical in it because you can't write something of this magnitude without having historical facts in it. And number three, the names that BR uses are so conducive to that time period, I'm thinking this man's done step back in a time machine to pull this book out. First century Rome, Decimus Julius Virilius is a toga-clad sleuth, part detective, part assassin. Upon retiring from the army, Decimus is given the rank of tribune in Octavius Caesar's new cohorts urbana a specialized police unit for the cities of Rome and Ostia. Emperor Octavius personally assigns him to investigate delicate cases particularly sensitive to the ruling Julie family. It's not long before Decimus and his sidekick, Quintus Flavus, finds themselves at the sharp end of a legendary short sword. What are the secrets contained in a set of stolen scrolls that Octavius is so desperate to recover? How are they linked to the death of a wealthy but secretive wealthy patrician, Spurius Lavinius, a man Decimus suspects might be involved in a new assassination plot that could plunge the empire back into the bloody civil war? Why does suspicion fall on Spurius's beautiful siren-like wife, Atia Gracia, whose father, Felix Gracias suddenly suffers a gruesome end. What does the patrical sea captain K. 
Cassius Septimus know of the scrolls that may, it is thought, contain plans for Julius Caesar's murder 40 years earlier and names including that of the legendary Mark Antonius. Can there be double agents afoot? And what part could Livia Drusilla, aging wife of Octavius and mother of Caesar-to-be Tiberius, possibly play in such a dangerous game of dynastic survival? Sherlock Holmes meets Jason Bourne in this first-century Roman Empire detective mystery and mayhem. Oh, my flippin' word. Yeah. You like that, huh? Amazing. That, that whole novel has first, an inner... And this is just the first of the series of the Decimus Julius Virilius series, Death by Creek Fire. Okay, tell uh, me yeah. about this. Well, like I said, that's a, it has an interesting history behind it. Here we go talking about history again. Uh, this is going to be hard to believe, but it's God's honest truth. A rather famous literary agent in the country gave me a call one night out of the sky blue and he was talking to me about possible writing this and writing that and he suggested could I write a a, a detective no, a detective novel based in Rome ancient Rome that had a character that was like Sherlock Holmes and being impetuous that I am I said sure I can do that and that's how this story comes about the sad thing is i write the whole story out uh, i write the novel and i send it off to the, to the gentleman that uh, originally asked for it and he didn't like it what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so here i am i'm stuck with this novel and i i actually enjoyed writing the novel it is actually it is in, indeed filled with lots of roman history but roman history that Makes everything more human. You you can feel it. You can feel the 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 tension in the, between the people and stuff. So I said, okay, if you don't like it, I'll shop on my own and try to get it found find a home for it. And and this British press has decided to, to take it on. And I finished up uh, last uh, September the book two. Uh, and they're, they have it in their hands now, and off we go. But it is. The, the main character, Decimus Julius Virilis, is, um, is part Jason Bourne because lots of his stories he's going to be assigned personally to go take out somebody. But it's also Sherlock Holmes. And he's, if you remember reading Sherlock Holmes, he had this way of deduction, mm-hmm. of looking at things and, and – touching things and tasting things, well, Decimus does the same thing. And so the interesting thing about that and and Sherlock Holmes in particular, Sherlock Holmes was actually based off a, a, true, a, a real person that Sir Conan Doyle knew in med school. Uh-huh. Turned out it was one of his, his professors. And so the history of people – having the abilities like a Sherlock Holmes is not unheard of. It, it's not common, but it's not unheard of. So to think that a first century Roman could act like Sherlock Holmes really is not a, that stretch of an imagination. Well, I know when I read that synopsis, I'm going, oh, 
my work because I've written historical fiction, and I only went back as far as 1888, and then and the first one I went back as far as the Civil War. But you go all the way back to first century Rome. Well, and, I, and there's, you know, we meant we were talking about all those characters that are in your head. Well, yeah. I have a, I have another character in my head. I, and actually, take it back further. <laughs> so, oh my lord! Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if he's going to come out and play or not, but he's there. <laughs> Well, you. I also found one, and this one I did download. I'm going to tell you what grabbed me. It wasn't the title, and it wasn't the synopsis. It was the cover. And and to me, you got to have a popping cover. And, and this cover jumped out at me. And ladies and gentlemen, no, y'all can't go yet. It's called The Trillium Caper Part 1. The, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw it up. The, the name of the series, the Agnastus Hula series, and I probably screwed it up, but it goes part one of a four-part serialization of a novel featuring wizard and spy, Agnastus Hula, who works for the Interdimensional Magic Bureau, an organization of white wizardry dedicated and eradicating dark magic from taking hold anywhere within a planet's Temporal timeline. I'm going. Oh my word! Fingers start walking. <laughs> well, uh, the character's name is Agnastus Julia. Thank you. I yeah. told you I was going crucified. That's no. That's no problem. I answer to a million things. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did this but, one come uh, about? Oh. I have this thing about it would be interesting to read something that merges two different genres together. So you've got, on one hand, you've got fantasy uh, and wizardry. On the other hand, you've got, um, you've got the James, James, uh, Jason Bourne adventure series, Spy. No. So I thought this would be interesting. Put the two together make the, the wizardry more science than wizard fantasy and throw in time travel and make the character interesting and that's what's happened. Now I will I will make a confession here. I'm thinking seriously of not writing a four part series but expanding that into a one large novel. Now the first part of that four part series is out. I mean, you can you can purchase it. Yeah, but, I, uh, I downloaded it today. I'm I'm thinking about starting up another story and making it a full length novel. Unfortunately, um, like most writers, I have novels on queue. They're lined up to be written one after the other, and Agnastas is down the road a little ways. Uh, he's not gonna like that. No, no, he's going to pull a prank on me sooner or later. I'm sure of that. <laughs> well, I'm. And then, I, think, I think you'll like. I think you'll like Agnestis. He's a bit of a. He's not a prude, but he's a bit of like a spoiled child, but with lots of lots of wizardry power to him, and he's a good guy. But uh, he, but he has two comrades that are working with him, and. Uh, 
and they're rather unique himself. One of them is a, is a a wizard that's specifically designed to observe a planet's civilization. And if he sees uh, the arrival of dark magic into that civilization, trying to subtly change that civilization, then he contacts the IDMB and they bring an agent, Agnastus Julia or somebody else in to subtly change it back to where it should normally be. So that character is... uh, You'll like that character, I think. He's a bit of a klutz. I thought that I had a half a dozen different genres dancing around in my head, but your head is even more crowded than mine. <laughs> my wife has always accused me of having a big empty head, so I can tell her oh, no, that it's not empty. No, your head's not empty. It is very crowded in there. How in the world? Like you say, you have them in a queue ready to write. But how do you keep them from interfighting with each other to get out? Well, the thing is, they live their own lives in, the, in my noggin. They, they, they tell their own stories to each other and to me. And so, for the most part, they're quite comfortable, you know. But so, and they kind of realize that there are other demands. People want things first in an order. And so, Turner Hahn and Frank Morales are novels are, I, won't, I don't know if I want to use the word hot, but the editor and publisher want them. So, I'm out there coming, and I've got other, you know, things going on. So, it sounds complex, but. For me, actually, it isn't. Now, I will admit, I walk around the house like a space cadet, bumping into things because my mind is playing with me, and I'm off a hundred thousand miles away, and my wife keeps having to, you know, knock me on the head with something to bring me back to reality. But other than that, I, there's been no problem. Well, you know, that's really rude of her. We don't like living in reality. We have our own world, and it's very busy. <laughs> Well, there's some things here in the in the world, real world that I kind of enjoy. In the background, I'm sure you've heard my 11-month-old grandson screaming and hollering, so that's kind of nice to be around. He's living with us with his mother and his 10-year-old sister, so it's fun having them around, you know. But they understand me, I understand them, and they know that they quietly keep an eye on me when I start space cadetting. Well, yeah, I have to have somebody pull me back to the from the from the rim of the abyss. Tell me about Call Me Smitty. That was another one that I saw. And and again, ladies and gentlemen, the covers of these books are are the old. Okay, let's let's step back in time to mid to late 1940s, early 1950s. They were called dime store novels, and they had these these unique covers that you don't find anymore, and and you would pick them up because, hmm, call me Smitty, and you see this guy looking over his shoulder. What is this guy about? All right. I talked a little bit about Turner Hahn and Frank Morales being homicide detectives. Well, they Correct. follow a, a code. They are law-abiding lawmakers. I mean, you know, they, they, they follow the law. They go after the bad guys. Smitty is a derivative of Turner and Frank. 
Um, a few years back, there was a, a website that was called Six Sentences. And what they did was they gave you three or four words for uh, writer prompts, and in six sentences, you had to write a story. Well, I don't remember what the words were, but out popped Smitty, and Smitty is directly related to Turner and Frank. They're, he's kind of the the uh, anti-hero problem child that Turner could very well become if he wasn't so law-abiding. And yeah. I wrote this six-sentence six story, and I and there was and there he was, Smitty, standing right there in front of me. I knew his backstory. I knew what he looked like. I, he's a hitman, actually. He's a he's a born killer, uh, and, but he's a born killer with a code of ethics. And uh, in in some respects, he might remind you of Turner, but a darker Turner. On. And uh, I am really fascinated with this guy. So I wrote a series of short stories, and I put them in a collection. And then late again last year, I finished a full first complete novel. It's called Dark Retri- Retribution, and it's, uh, it's Smitty at his best. Smitty is now trying to become a uh, private detective, but he doesn't follow the law, the letter of the law, at all, <laughs> to get his cases resolved. And and I'm shopping it around trying to find a publisher that will go for that, and I'm kind of waiting for it. But it's it's very, very dark, very, very compelling. I Again, it's me now, the writer, blowing my own horn, so you have to take that into consideration. But uh, Smitty is a, a unique character. But if it's not, if it wasn't for Turner and Frank, Smitty would probably not have been born. Interesting. Now you got me wanting to read the whole thing, not just the, well, the short stories. Yeah, you'll enjoy them. Now I, I have to admit, the uh, collection of short stories are self-published, so you'll. I'm not the greatest editor of my own material, so I'll None give you a fair warning. None of us are. That's why we have editors. <laughs> Trust well, me, I can you, I can I write something and go back and and read it and and read what I thought I wrote, but it wasn't anything like I wrote. And I could have swore I wrote it the way it was supposed to be until my editor gets it and she goes, "Yvonne, did you mean to write this this way?" And I'll say, "What way?" Well, this way. And she read. I said, "No, that's not what I said." This is what I, she said. No, this is what you wrote. You might have meant that, but that is not what you wrote. <laughs> well, my problem is, is I'll write a page and I'll go back and edit it myself, and I'll edit it and I'll read it and I'll edit it and I'll read it and I'll edit it and I'll right in the middle of the paper usually, right in the middle of the page there'll be the word it, for instance, and I ask uh-huh. myself, do I know spell, do I know how to spell it? It's two letters. <laughs> you ought to know how to spell. It. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I so get it. You are not going to believe this, my friend, but our hour is almost up. Uh, well, I, didn't I tell fun. you? I told you it would fly by. Didn't I say I was going to tell you that and, and we hear the pregnant pause, ladies and gentlemen, because this was the first time he was on the show and he was kind of nervous. But see, once we get to talking, the nervousness disappears. So what I want you to do 
is let these lovely, lovely folks that are chomping at the bit know where you can be found, know where they can get your books, and how they can hook up with you on Facebook. Well, on Facebook, I'm B.R. Statum. Uh, my blog is uh, In the Dark Mind of B.R. Statum. Uh, you can find me anywhere, basically, that uh, ebooks are sold. And also paperbacks, you can type in Endeavor Press or Endeavor Media now. They call themselves Endeavor Media, and you can buy from them. And I'm if you type in DR Stadium on Amazon, you get rewarded with the whole panorama of my material. Oh yes, you do. It's just a it's a it's a cornucopia of wonderful, wonderful reads. And trust me. Once you get started, it's like a a drug. You you won't be able to stop. And I haven't even started yet, and I can't wait to go back and get more. You just well, you got to go and take him time, out. Maybe some other time I might come on and we'll talk about that. Why my theory about how you grab a reader and keep them. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you're you're part of the family now, Br. You will be coming back. Trust me on this one. This is not one and done. You you will be returning because we haven't even scratched the surface about you yet. But in the meantime, I want to thank you so much for, for agreeing to step in tonight. It was well worth it. Like I said, we haven't even scratched scratch the surface. Don't hang up when the show goes off because i got some things I want to tell you. But, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow night we will have an author from England join us and – as y'all always know, there are a few things that I say at the end of every show, and I, li- I try to live by these rules. And one of them is that people will forget what you look like. People will forget your name. They will even forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you made them feel. And my, my prayer is this, that everyone that, that listens to the show, everyone that comes on this show, everyone that I network with about this show is made to feel like they're the most important person in the room because they are without each of you the show would be nothing i could sit here and talk all day and it wouldn't make a hill of beans so all of you are the most important person in the room when you look at yourself in the mirror don't say i feel special today say i am special because feelings are fleeting and if you don't understand that you are special you won't never be special if you want to achieve greatness ladies and gentlemen do not ask permission because nobody's going to give it to you just go out and grab it people want you to stay down in the bottom of the well with them you stand head and shoulders above others and make your dreams real because we only go around once in this life and when we go around we don't want to end our days with regrets of shoulda woulda coulda so go out there and do whatever it is that you want to do and do it well and if you have the naysayers laugh at them because it's their problem not yours so with that being said i want to again thank each and every one of you for your prayers your thoughts and your concerns about my husband please continue to pray for him because i do believe in the power of prayer it is my faith that sustains me and prayer is part of that faith so until tomorrow night i am your host yvonne mason with off the chain and my guest br Statham, and we wish you all a very 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 
good evening and be happy. Until tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time when we are once again off the chain. Now, we are off the air, but everything we say now will will show up in the archive show. It's like the outtakes of a movie. But what I wanted to let you know is when we get off of here, this thing will will upload into the archives. And once it uploads, I'm going to tag, I'm going to post it on my page, and then I'm going to tag you in it. And I want you to take this show and put it everywhere. Share it with everybody you know. Tomorrow, I'm going to put it up on SoundCloud, MixCloud, Spreaker, Podcast.com, and Podcast Garden. From there, it goes up on iTunes, YouTube, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, um, iHeartRadio. Where else does it go? It goes into a half a dozen other podcasts that I don't even put it up on. Somebody else does. But the thing is, we are, and, and we're fixing to get on Spotify. So, we are on iTunes, YouTube, and iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio, which are absolutely amazing. It is so hard to get on those podcasts, and we are there. Well, excellent. I, I had the feeling that this would be a show that uh, would have a large audience. It, it does, and, and the thing is people keep coming back. And when I put it up on those podcasts, I'm also going to tag you in those podcasts. So you can take those podcasts and throw them out there and say, here, the show is up here. Spread the news. So you're going to get heard in over 100 countries. Mm-hmm. That uh, That is really amazing. It really is. It's, it's all about all of y'all. And I want to thank you again, BR, for coming on the show tonight because it the, the hour flew by. It just it did. It was an amazing. It, it did. And we didn't even cover half the stuff. So yes, if you will come back, I would I would love to have you back. Well, whenever you need me, you can just you know let me know, and I'll I'll be more than happy to step in and do this again. All right, and and keep me updated on the books, my friend. Put them up on my page. You can pimp on I my will. page. I don't care. That's what that's what my page is for. I will. All right. I appreciate you you letting me come on and talk. Oh, my goodness gracious. I appreciate you coming on. I already had you slated. I was going to get you on the show, especially after I went and saw the books. This is a man's got to come on the show. We need him. We need him. So thank you for being available. It was my honor and my privilege that that you accepted. Thank you so much. And we'll be talking soon. All righty. Looking forward to it. All right, my dear. Good night. Good night.